I was at church one day, and the speaker that day was um, was different. I just sat there with tears in my eyes, learning about this ministry that was revolutionizing the planet. I'm talking, of course, about Millennial International. The need is enormous. There are over 10 million millennials out there who have graduated with no work ethic, no job, no discernible skills at all, and they have expenses. Housing. Student loans. Credit card debt. And I didn't really realize the magnitude of the problem until I looked into the eyes of a millennial, and I saw that face with the the dead, nothing's happening up here kind of thing. So I went out to the booth after the service and I talked with the guy and he really informed me about the devastation that's not being able to fund a millennial lifestyle. Core power yoga. Birch box for men. I looked over all the envelopes and my heart was really touched when I saw this one particular fellow that I, I just had to get more information about him. He was uh, Declan from Beverly Hills. I am an uh, aspiring photographer. I graduated college with an art degree, so obviously that puts me at a disadvantage. Volkswagen Jetta lease. Beard wax. Spotify premium. In his last letter, he wrote to me and said that his uh, weekend was, oh, how do you put it, um, totes lit fam. Literally have no idea what that means. Spin cycle membership. Pet food for my rescue dog. Uber's home from a pub crawl. A typical sponsorship program costs $29 a month. Millennial International is actually $2,900 a month. Yeah, it seems expensive at first, but when you see the need, it is so worth it. Trunk Club subscription. Essential oils. Annual pilgrimage to Bethel Church. It's the same as a traditional sponsorship program, uh, except instead of getting, say, a soccer ball for his birthday, he's getting an Audi. Am I capable of having a job? Sure, but I just feel like Maybe employment right now would just kind of be stifling my creativity. Through the sponsorship program, they actually set up a chance for us to meet each other in person. I brought him an apple pie that my wife had baked for him, but I totally forgot he's gluten-free. So we couldn't eat it. I mean, obviously, I've seen Food Inc., so I don't eat the traditional meals like everybody else. For breakfast, they usually do, like, some kombucha juice. He really didn't have much energy that week, and it turns out, you know, he was on a juice cleanse. And I wanted to respect that. My wish for Declan, oh gosh, uh, that he would realize his potential in life, that he would be better, achieve more. I've been getting blue ribbons and participation trophies my whole life. What do you expect? For me, if it wasn't for the program, I'd have to get a job. Or worse, start a GoFundMe. Many of these kids in traditional sponsorship programs are fighting diseases like malaria, pneumonia, tuberculosis. And these millennials have the same struggle. Peanut allergies, pollen sensitivity, lactose intolerance. Kids in Africa are getting typhoid. Declan was recently diagnosed with tennis elbow. I was originally paying vision and eye care insurance for him, but it turns out his eyeglasses weren't even real. To me, you can't put a price on friendship. Join me in sponsoring a millennial today and help us. Help us. Help us. Help us live the lives we portray on Instagram. So let's talk about that.
Um, so uh, I am millennial. I was born in that kind of 80 to 2000 time range. And um, some of you found that funny. Some of you found it too funny. Um, <laughs> I was taking notes. Um, and so the real kind of challenge here is that uh, apparently these kind of things perform well. This video was posted less than two months ago on YouTube, and it's had over a million and a half views since then. Um, but as a millennial, if I'm really honest with you, I get tired of reading articles that bash my generation. Uh, at a certain point, it just gets old. Because um, I've seen, there's, this is not the first video that's gone viral like this. Um, it seems like we're the easy punching bag of the day. Oh, millennial, you know? And, and you've all heard the critiques. Millennials are, let's list them. They're lazy, entitled, narcissistic, addicted to their phones. They can't go five minutes without checking social media. And just for the record, I'm going to preach for 35 minutes today and not be on Twitter. So it can be done. Uh, we can't commit to anything. We drop our parents. In the words of Louis C.K., the comedian, millennials are the crappiest generation ever. And that's one of his nicer statements. Um, so there are these broad, sweeping generalizations out there. And yet there's 75 to 80 million people who fall in this generation. And you can't describe or summarize 75 to 80 million people in three words, much less lazy, entitled, and narcissistic. But at the same time, I think some of our struggles are portrayed in that video. I think we do have some challenges. And one of them is entitlement. I think entitlement is a struggle that we face in a real way. I think we've been conditioned maybe to feel entitled. He's right. We did receive a trophy and an award whenever we did anything. We grew up in a world where we had cable TV and the internet at our fingertips. We started college when everyone owned a laptop and everybody had a cell phone. By the time we went to college, we graduated five times. Preschool, kindergarten, fifth grade, eighth grade, high school. Like there's a reason we think we're awesome, you know? And so as a result, this entitlement has built up. And the thing is, whether it's millennials or builders or any generation in between, when entitlement grows, it becomes a barrier. It becomes a wall. And entitlement prevents us from experiencing the future that God intends for us. It limits all of us, and entitlement does not discriminate based upon generation. It isn't just a millennial problem. It's a human problem. Because at the core, entitlement is about me. Entitlement puts me first. It ignores the kind of hard work and perseverance that leads to success. It fosters a spirit of passivity or laziness. It tells us things like, it's okay, I put my time in, someone else can serve now. Or, hey, I worked hard for a while, it's now my time to put my feet up and let somebody else sweat it out. We become entitled to living at a certain lifestyle level, even when our income changes. We become entitled to the lifestyle we grew up with without experiencing the hard work and ethic and sacrifice that it took our parents to provide for that lifestyle. When it comes to church, entitlement says, hey, you tithe a lot. You've been here a long time. You can make the rules. You can tell them what to do. Even in our country, a lot of us struggle with entitlement. We feel like we're owed something as opposed to thinking about what we owe our country. And personally, I've struggled with entitlement in a huge way. When I was in my first job out of college, Remember, my supervisor sat down with me. He said, Scott, do you know what your biggest weakness is? I said, no, but I would really appreciate knowing it. And he said, you're not teachable. You're entitled and you're arrogant. I said, I thought there was just one weakness. <laughs> but that thing that he exposed to me that was going on in my heart that was manifesting itself in entitlement and arrogance and lack of teachability 
it had to be dealt with because it was going to limit my future like that wall I just showed you. And I couldn't comprehend all the ways that it was going to be something that had to be torn down in me for something good to be constructed. James, the brother of Jesus, said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It was in that season that I discovered the antidote to entitlement. The antidote to entitlement is gratitude. Stephen Furtick says, let's go next slide, that you cannot be grateful for something you feel entitled to. Your sense of gratitude begins where entitlement ends. See, entitlement and gratitude are like oil and water. They can't cohabitate in the same space. And you will not give thanks for something that you feel like is owed to you. And if you live in any area of your life with a sense of entitlement that you deserve something, you're never going to be grateful for it. If, if entitlement is the disease, then gratitude is the cure. And that's why we've been harping on gratitude for these last few weeks. Because entitlement is a pandemic that, that affects all of us. It isn't just a millennial thing. I've met tons of people who are at the opposite end of the spectrum who are hugely entitled. It isn't just a disease of the young, it's a disease of the heart. And so that's why we have to lean into gratitude, not just at Thanksgiving, but all year long. This morning, I want to talk to you about three things, and they're on the cover of your bulletin. They're grace, gratitude, and generosity. I was channeling some of my Baptist roots as I wrote this message this week. And I tried to sum up this morning's message in a statement, and that statement is this. It's our big idea. That God's grace unlocks gratitude and generosity in our lives. God's grace is like a key that goes into a lock, and when it's turned, it opens up for us the experiences of gratitude and generosity. And while we experience this Christmas season in our culture, we typically experience a lot of entitlement and a lot of greed. But I think the true heart and meaning of Christmas is rooted in things like gratitude and generosity. So this morning, I'd encourage you to pull out your Bible and open up with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's 2 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians, as someone said earlier this year. 2 Corinthians, and this is the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's about three quarters of the way through. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to a church that he was intimately involved with. And he says some things that I think are really relevant as we wrap up Thanksgiving and turn our attention towards Christmas. And since we'll be reading this kind of all in one big chunk, I want to encourage you to stand with me to honor God's word and so we can follow along together. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. And skip down to verse 14. We do this knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people 
it may also increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. God, I pray that you'd speak powerfully through your word this morning and that you'd use me and my imperfect words to speak and illuminate the truth that you want each of us to hear. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. This morning, with the time that I have left, I'd like to share with you what I'm calling four lessons on grace and gratitude and generosity. And, and my hope is that this message would really frame up our experience with Christmas, that we would go through it in a really intentional way. Uh, you're not going to be surprised by the, some of the things I speak on at Christmas time. You're going to hear about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men. And the temptation, I think, sometimes at Christmas time is to go through with tired eyes, not fresh eyes. And my prayer is that we would go through this with the eyes that God, God wants us to have that we'd see what he wants us to see and hear what he wants us to hear. So the first lesson this morning is this, that God's grace is a great treasure. God's grace is a great treasure. Paul begins this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. And this treasure that he's speaking about, if you read the context of this chapter in verses 1 through 6, he's talking about the grace that we've received from God. Now, grace is a term we throw around a lot in church. And so I wanted to help you understand that. I wanted to define it a little bit. And I think there's lots of really good definitions out there of what grace is. Grace, according to one person, is God's unmerited favor towards us. So we didn't deserve grace. We didn't merit it. And yet God has looked on us with favor because of his grace. People like acronyms. So here's one. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And so Christ died on our behalf. He endured the punishment that we deserved. And then as a result, we experience God's riches because of his grace. My definition of grace that I typically use is the final one here. It's God's free gift of the opposite of what we deserve. So the scripture teaches us that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we deserve the punishment for that sin, which is death. But yet God's free gift to us through his grace is the opposite of that. We don't get death, we get life, and we get it abundantly. And that grace is amazing. And it's this grace right here, friends, that separates us from every other religious community. It's grace that separates Christianity from every other world religion. It's grace that separates the scriptures from every other holy book. Because every other faith and every other religion and every other holy book is about managing our sin and bad actions into submission. It's putting a stranglehold on our brokenness. It's making ourselves into good people. It's like going on a holiness plan, like the plan we're going to go on beginning in January when the gyms fill up. Go now while it's still empty. See, grace is this ridiculous gift that we've been given that we didn't deserve. And it's the opposite of making ourselves into a good, righteous, and holy person. But it's realizing that we're not, and yet God still loves us. Let me sum it up this way. The gospel of grace says that apart from God's grace— we're more sinful and broken than we could imagine. See, the truth is that things are worse than you realize. You're actually more broken than you realize. I know you came to church to hear good news like that. But the gospel says that you're more broken and sinful than you could ever imagine. It's bad news before it's good news. But because of God's grace, even though that you're more sinful and broken than you could imagine, you're also more loved and accepted than you could ever comprehend. If you've ever felt loved and accepted, go beyond that. 
If you've ever felt like somebody really knew you and really loved you, go beyond that. Go beyond the moment where you felt more love than you ever had in your life, and that's grace. Jesus knows every moment of your life, the moments you're proud of and the moments you tried to hide. And he loves and accepts you still. That's grace. He takes the broken pieces of us and it makes, he makes us whole. Grace also sustains us. In the passage, we read a, a litany of things that are hard. Paul talks about being hard-pressed. He talks about being perplexed, persecuted, struck down with death at work in us. For some of you, this is the summary of 2016. This is your year right here in a slide. It's been a difficult year. It's been a tragic year. It's been a painful year. And guess what? You're still here. You woke up today and you got out of bed and you got here. That was God's grace. And so God's grace isn't just the thing that saves us. It's the thing that sustains us. Grace is the glue which holds us together. It holds the broken pieces of our lives and our dreams and our plans and our ideals. It holds them together in a way that we could never. So we can't ever forget the grace that we've been given. There's a song called Amazing Grace. It's one of the most famous songs ever. And I think most of us would know the words if I could start singing right now. I won't because I don't sing well. That's Jamie's job. I'm the talker. He's the singer. Um, but I think some of us have lost the amazingness of grace. I think it's kind of dimmed for us. We sing amazing grace, but it's no longer a wow thing. Like, you don't deserve this. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be celebrating. We'd still be in that first half, sinful and more broken than we could imagine. And I think a lot of us, the, the challenge for us this Christmas season is to gain fresh eyes. It's not just go through the motions again. Yeah, Jesus has come and he's born as a baby in a manger. la di da di da you know, like, no. It's incredible. It's amazing. Right? And so my prayer for you is that this Christmas season, you wouldn't get more stuff and you wouldn't go to lots of parties and you wouldn't gain the 15 pounds you should, you know? My, my prayer is that you would have a new sense of wow that you would realize that God's grace is a treasure. And some of you, you've got the idea that you're doing well, so you need less grace. If you have that idea, I have bad news for you. You're actually further from God, not closer to him. If you think you need less grace, you're moving away from God, not moving closer to him. Because the older you get and the longer you go, the more grace you should need because you realize how broken and sinful you are without him. God's grace is a treasure, and we should think of it that way. Paul continues in verse 7. He says, This treasure in jars of clay, we've been given it to show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. The second lesson is that access to this treasure has to be shared, it's meant to be shared. You know, 
some of you have had kind of a difficult year. We saw that list. Some of you have had a great year. You had some great moments that happened this year. Maybe you got a new job, or you bought a new house, or you became debt-free, or your millennial moved out at 27, you know, or somebody graduated, or somebody got married, or you got a promotion, or you hit a milestone. And, and when that moment happened, here's what happened for you. I got to tell somebody. I got to post online. I got I to tell somebody what happened. When something good happens to us, we have to share it because the best things in life are meant to be shared. When you have that moment where you feel just overwhelmingly grateful or this is incredible, I can't believe this happened, we share that thing. We share that news. Do you remember what it was like the first time you received grace? Remember, it was like the first moment that you realized that Jesus loved you and accepted you in spite of everything you had done wrong? Do you remember the first moment you realized that you didn't have to earn God's love, but you received it as a gift anyway? That was something that you had to share. And one of the true things about the holidays that I've realized is for a lot of people, it is not the most wonderful time of the year. It is the worst time of the year. Some of you are not looking forward to this season because it's a painful reminder. It's a reminder of who you've lost, who's not sitting around the table this year. It's a reminder of what you lost, how different this year is from last year. The holidays are some of the most lonely times for people where they feel isolated. They don't feel included. They feel disappointed. And so in this season, it is an incredible opportunity for us to share the access to this treasure with people. There are people who will say yes to your invitation in this season who wouldn't at any other time of the year. Studies have shown that 60% of people are willing to take an invitation to church from a trusted friend. And there are people that are not my friends that don't trust me, but they are trusted friends of yours. And if you invited them that might be the moment where they hear about this good news for the very first time. So on Christmas Eve, the title of our service is Christmas for Everyone. Because it's not just for us. It's not just for us. If it is, that's not really good news. It's for everyone. And so there are people that I want you to begin praying about. The next three Sundays, we'll have cards available you can use to invite people. You'll see our advertising on Facebook and around the city, and we encourage you to leverage this opportunity. There are people during this year who you've thought of, man, I wonder what it would be like if God got a hold of their life. I wonder what it would be like if they discovered that Jesus loved them for who they are so they don't have to keep pretending anymore. And this could be the opportunity that they have to discover what you have. Don't waste this opportunity. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, For all of this was for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The third lesson is grace overflows as we find freedom. Grace, sorry, gratitude overflows as we find freedom. See, as we discover the freedom and the grace that we have, that that unleashes gratitude in our hearts because we realize we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we didn't create it. And what's interesting in this verse here, in verse 15, is that there's a couple words I want to draw your attention to. The word grace 
and the word thanksgiving. I may have noticed this because I was writing this sermon on Tuesday and I was hungry for turkey, but, but I started doing some studying, and this passage here in 2 Corinthians 4 was originally written in the Greek language. It wasn't written in English because English didn't exist. And so in the Greek language, the word for grace is a word called charis, and the word for thanksgiving is the word eucharistion. If you notice, the first part of it, eucharist, is the word that we draw our word communion or Lord's Supper or the Eucharist from, that celebration of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. So it literally means when we take that meal next, next Sunday morning, we celebrate communion, we're giving thanks to God for what he's done for us. And so Paul says, as grace extends to more and more people, it increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. Why is that? Well, that is because the more aware we are of grace, the more grateful we are, And the more we glorify God, the more we realize that God has given us grace and we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it, the more grateful we are to him and the more we glorify him. If there's something in your life that you feel entitled to, you don't give thanks for it and you don't praise God for it because you feel like you did it. Like most of you in the last month have gotten a check in the mail. It's either a paycheck or it's a social security check or it's a retirement annuity check. How many of you and you got that check, opened it up, looked at the address, and wrote a thank you note to that person? None of you. How ungrateful. No. Why is that? You feel like you're entitled to that check. I did the work for that pay. I paid into that Social Security. I saved that money. It was owed to me. You felt entitled to that. Well, when you're entitled to it, you don't give thanks for it and you don't glorify God for it. We have to experience it as grace for those things to happen. I want you to close your eyes for a second. This is not nap time, but close your eyes. I want you to imagine your worst failure. I want you to imagine the moment you feel like you blew it the most in your life. The moment that you're ashamed about, the moment you're guilty about, the moment you wish you could change. You wish you didn't say that. You wish you didn't do that. You should think about the person or the people that that hurt. I want you to open your eyes. For just a moment, I want you to pretend I am that person or those people. And I'm looking you in the eye. I look at you and I say, I love you. I forgive you. This is going to be okay. I'm not going to hold this against you. We can move on. I'm putting this in the past. I love you. That's what grace is. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And a lot of you didn't get it in that moment. But that's what we get from God even on your worst day, even at your worst moment, even when you didn't deserve it, you got grace. The person who taught me most about grace is my wife. Um, And early on in our relationship, I really struggled because I had been in other relationships that weren't about grace. And so I would make mistakes, as I do on a daily, weekly, hourly, minutely basis, and just being real here at church, okay? Um, and I would have to say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I, 
I, I screwed up. Will you forgive me? She said, yeah, I forgive you. And, and I wouldn't actually believe her. I'm kind of embarrassed. I wouldn't actually believe her that she actually forgave me because I had been in other relationships where somebody said, I forgave you, and then all of a sudden, two weeks later, it popped up again, and it never went away, and I could never get away from it. And so finally one day, I'll never forget, my wife looked at me, and she said, Scott, I am not like the girls you used to date. When I say I forgive you, it's done. It took me years to unlearn the patterns I'd been in. It took me years to learn that somebody could actually respond that way. And then I realized one day that that's how God responded to me. He didn't wait for me to prove that I was never going to do it again. He didn't wait for me to get my act together. He didn't wait for me to show that I was worthy of forgiveness or grace. He just gave it. And that kind of grace has filled my heart to overflowing with gratitude. And that's why grace and gratitude are connected. Because until you realize the grace that you've been given, you're never going to live with gratitude because you think you earned this. You think God loves you because you did something good. You didn't. While you were going your own way, doing your own thing, showing God the finger and not your pointer, God said, I'm going to come and give myself for you. The most gracious and generous gift that was ever given was given at Christmas when Jesus gave himself. And that's why we should be so grateful. Final lesson, lesson number four. Gratitude overcomes greed and produces generosity. Gratitude overcomes greed and produces generosity. See, if, if the Christmas season is supposed to be about gratitude and generosity, the challenge is many of us live in a world where where it's defined at Christmas time by greed and entitlement. That's why it's so crazy for me that we started Thanksgiving morning so grateful for what we had, and we ended it at the store buying more stuff. That's why I'm just, you know, I, I'm not anti-consumerism. I'm just like, guys, there's a mixed message happening here. And the truth is, wherever we experience entitlement and greed, they, they close us up. They're, they're like clenched fists. I'm going to hold on to what I have. I don't want to lose it. I'm going to hold on to what I have. Right now, just make, make, make fists with your hands. Would you mind? Just make fists, okay? Here's the thing. Whatever's in your fist is not going to get out. That's the good news. The bad news, nothing's going to get in. And that's the reason that greed and entitlement are bad because you can never lose what you have here, but guess what? God can't bless cold, closed fists. When you open your hands you're in a position to receive and you can realize through gratitude that everything you have is a gift. Everything you have is a gift. The house you lived in last night, where it was warm, that's a gift. The jacket you're wearing today because it's a little bit colder, it's a gift. The car that got you here or the bike that got you here is a gift. The people you have in your life right now, they're a gift. Everything is a gift. And when you live that way, you open yourself up so that you can receive what God wants to give you. That's why gratitude is such a, a huge theme in the scriptures. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of the biggest questions I get as a pastor is, Scott, what is God's will for my life? You know what it is today? Give thanks. But God, Scott, 
This is not a good day. All circumstances. All. That's God's will for you. Last week, Pastor Tom was doing a great job preaching on generosity, and I thought of a scripture, and I Googled it, which is what I do in sermons. I Google stuff. Um, and so Psalms 37, 25, I found this. I have been young, and now I am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God promises that when we are generous, he will provide. That's why generosity is open-handed living, not empty-handed living. Some of you go, man, if, if I open my hands up, I could lose stuff. I could lose it all. Yeah, and you'd be dependent on the one who's the reason you have everything. When you live with open hands, God can use what you have through generosity in the lives of other people, but he can also bless you. And you can become dependent on him in a way you never have before. That's why I think so many of us are just saddened or maybe angered by the way Christmas has gotten co-opted. Because instead of depending on God, we look to stuff. I heard this week an interview with somebody and the, the person interviewed him said, hey, if you could buy a billboard anywhere in the world, where would you buy it and what would it say? It's a fascinating question. What they said, this is not a Christian podcast. They said, I would buy a billboard next to a shopping center and it would say these words, it won't make you happy. It won't. I'm going to hazard a guess that there is not a single gift you will get at Christmas that will make you tangibly or in a lasting way happier than you are. Now, don't get me wrong. Blu-ray is better than VHS. Watching a football game in 4K is a lot better than my giant, you know, huge 400-pound TV I used to have. But I'm not happier. I'm not happier with my iPhone 6S versus my BlackBerry with the rolling ball. I'm not. And so that's why it's so important that we lean into gratitude because gratitude takes what we have and it turns it into enough. Gratitude takes what we have, what God has given us, and it turns it into enough. Where we're no longer greedy for more as if more will give us what we want. No, gratitude says, this is what God has given me and I'm going to trust that it's enough. So, I want to challenge you this year with a question. What if we made this our most generous Christmas ever? What if each of us made this year our most generous Christmas ever? And I'm not just talking about money. Yeah, we did just talk about an, a year-end offering because I think our church has been given an incredible opportunity to make a difference. And so I'm calling you in the same way I'm calling myself to give generously and sacrificially. There's some of you who have been blessed by this church's ministry this year and, and, and you haven't given and this is a great season to begin. But here's the thing. As your pastor, you need to know this. This is just kind of a sneak preview of what's to come. I'm not going to pound this table about tithing because I think you can tithe and still have your heart be far from God. See, here's the secret. God is less concerned with 10% of your money than he is 100% of your heart. It's actually scarier. God's not coming for 10% of your money. He's coming for 100% of your heart. The song isn't, I surrender a tithe. <laughs> I surrender tithes. No, no. It's, I surrender all. God doesn't want 10% of your money. He wants 
all of you. So being generous isn't giving 10% of your money. It's, it's actually looking around you and realizing that there are people who are lonely who need your love. There are people around you who just frankly want somebody to listen to them. People are just desperate to be heard these days. The most generous thing you could do for some people is just shut up and listen to them. There are people in this season, the most generous thing you could do is just invite them to Christmas dinner. One more plate. One more helping. Because otherwise they'd be alone. This season, maybe the generous thing you could do is, is just put your phone down at night. I know I'm speaking, and my wife isn't holding me accountable to this, but I'm, I'm just talking about it, but you can put your phone down and just be present with people. See, generosity is so much bigger than money, and it's where God leads us because tithing is safe and generosity is dangerous. But in light of all that we've been given, all the grace we've been given, generosity is the place where God leads us. And I want to live that way. This week, I was really struggling with writing the sermon. I mean, it, it just was not coming together. It was Tuesday. I was going to be out of the office starting on Wednesday, and I was, I was worried. Um, and so for some reason, I guess because I'm a millennial, I went online. Um, hey, no, no judgment here. Um, it's going to lead to good stuff for you in a second. Um, and so I found this video that my friend Jason shared. There's a man named Dian. He's Sudanese. And his family was torn apart by a civil war in Sudan in the uh, early 2010s. And his family ended up in a, a, a refugee camp. The problem was is that his wife and him had lost their marriage license. And um, because of that, he didn't qualify for refugee status. So in 2012, his wife and their two kids gained refugee status and they came to America while she was pregnant with their third child. But he was stuck in Sudan. And this video tells that story. Would you watch the screens? Well, that, that video pretty much wrecked me on Tuesday morning. And um, I just had one thought. I want to know that kind of gratitude. I, I want to know that kind of grace. I just have a hunch. It's just a hunch. I, I don't know this guy. Um, never met him. I just have a hunch that he's not entitled and greedy. I have this hunch that he realizes that he didn't know if he was ever going to see his family again. He was ever going to meet his son. And that moment when he hit the ground, uh, I just lost it. Um, And my prayer for you is that this Christmas, you would have a moment like that. That that would be your experience. That you would recognize the grace that God has given you that your heart would be so overwhelmed with gratitude and that you would make this your most generous Christmas ever. See, whatever you're going to get this year under the tree, it's not going to touch that. And that's really what we want deeply. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Jamie's going to lead us in that song that was playing in the background there and I want to encourage you, if you want to come forward and pray, we'll have some people here to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you're ready to receive that grace for the first time or connect with it in a, a new way. Uh, maybe there's something that you're really burdened by that you want to pray for. We'll have somebody down here to pray with you. But, but my prayer for you is that this would be a really special season.
uh, be one unlike any other, and that God would restore the sense of awe and wonder that you have. God, I pray for my friends. I pray that they would recognize the abundance, the amazingness, the beauty of your grace. I pray that you fill their heart, their heart with overwhelming gratitude. I pray you'd use them in just ridiculous ways to be generous in the lives of other people. And I pray that you'd leave us undone and overwhelmed, blown away by all that you've given us. May we worship you this year. In your name we pray. to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.